Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church. My name is Mike, this is WBC Online. This is the latest in our series looking at being church and on this occasion we're talking about mission. It is just possible that in the background you can hear the railway, you can hear the steam locomotive sort of chuffing along that way. Uh, it's very difficult for me as an enthusiast about these things not to at least point them out when they're happening. Anyway, this is uh, the latest in our series being church and we're looking at mission we're particularly looking at mission in the context of John 20 verse uh, 21 and 22 but I'm going to read a little bit round that uh, as we begin and I'm going to pray before I do that too let's pray Father be with us as we look at this passage Lord Jesus inspire us as you inspired your disciples Holy Spirit allow us to be inspired and encouraged and spurred on to be the disciples you call us to be. Amen. So I'm just going to read it from John 20, uh, starting at nine, verse 19, which says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, here we are in John 20, towards the end of uh, the gospel here. There's one more chapter after this one. This is John's kind of... um, part of John's resurrection narrative so he's told the story of how Peter and John go to the uh, tomb find it empty and the clothes folded up uh, but they don't see Jesus he then explains how uh, it's the women who see Jesus first and then we get this appearance in this locked room Um, and actually in this in this passage we see Jesus bringing um, three I think key things one is uh, peace so kind of a, a permission giving for the disciples to be at peace, possibly even for them to accept themselves as they are. The second thing is a sense of purpose. So he says, as I have been sent by the Father, so I'm sending you. There's a purpose there. And the third thing is the Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is John's narrative equivalent to Luke's uh, sort of Acts 1 writing about how the Spirit arrives. And John is saying that at this point, literally God, the, the breath of God comes on the disciples and that word breath uh, is um, very much associated with the word spirit too uh, particularly in Hebrew so it's perhaps appropriate that he breathes on them in order to um, give them his spirit which he's promised earlier in that gospel and it's in this reality that we find the mission of God ascending by God of his people to a world that really desperately needs him so we're going to do something uh, over the next few minutes. We're going to break mission down into three uh, sort of key things that I want to bring out. Um, there's going to be some sort of practical bits too. There's some ways of understanding things. But I want to have a look at, at these three concepts, which aren't the only ones, but I hope will be helpful. So the first one is this. It's not our mission, it's God's. We see this in that passage because we can see how Jesus, who has been saying all the way through that gospel, through John's gospel, there's one who sent me i have been sent by my father Uh, and then he says so in the same way that that happened i'm now sending you that very much puts the ownership of the mission 
in God's hands, not in ours. It's that God's mission has us. I think sometimes in churches we say uh, the church has a mission, but actually it's kind of the other way around. The mission, which is God's, has a church to put it into action. We are given purpose by Jesus when he says, I am sending you as I have been sent. We are participants in that mission. Actually, this chimes really well with the fact that we are, in a small number of weeks, going to be um, recommitting ourselves to each other in a covenant, in an agreement, in a promise, across this community of faith at Watcher Baptist Church, and, and calling ourselves partners, partly because we then promise to participate in the life of the church. We participate in the mission of God. We, part- we participate in the discipling of one another. And we participate in a relationship with Jesus too. So when we do that, we're saying that we accept our part, the part that we play uh, as disciples of Jesus, as apprentices to him who are looking to become more like our master. Secondly, Jesus sends us to others much more than the other way around. I know I've been involved in situations where we've prayed for God to send people to us and I think that's appropriate and helpful, not least because we don't necessarily know who all the people are who would benefit from being in our community of faith as as we seek to represent Jesus to others. So we don't know them all, so it's appropriate that we ask for God to send folks to us. And sometimes we ask God to send us folks who will help us to be equipped. But in doing so, I think it's important that we don't lose sight of the idea that ultimately what God tends to do is send us to others, not the other way around. He did, after all, send Jesus to us. And Jesus, in John 20, says he's sending us on. Yes, he was saying it originally to those apostles, those 11. um, But I think it's appropriate that we recognise ourselves in that. Uh, not least because we can be confident that the, the writer of that gospel, John, was intending for us to read ourselves as disciples of Jesus too. So, yes, we should ask God to send us folks, but we should also recognise that much more Jesus' way of doing things is to send us. He did this when he sent his disciples in pairs out to proclaim the kingdom. Um, he sent... Um, He sent them in bigger groups as well um, sometimes. But he he definitely had this idea that that where people needed to hear the kingdom proclaimed or the good news expressed, that he would send people to do that there. Now we are surrounded by people who we are in a position to proclaim the kingdom to. We live next door to some of them. We we work with some of them. We, um, We go to clubs and societies with them. We shop with them or whatever else it might be there are plenty of people around who we maybe can already recognize that we have been sent to and they are the ones we can reach being sent also means being with so you might remember in luke's gospel when those when the 12 and later on the 70 or 72 are sent by jesus they go in pairs and there are instructions for how they go about proclaiming and that involves going to a place and staying there for a bit staying with them, staying among them. This echoes the way Jesus was sent to us. So again, John's Gospel, but it's on the other end, John 1. John explains to us that that, um, Jesus, who who he calls the Word, the Logos, 
the Son of God, is sent to us and lives among us, lives with us, which is itself an echo of Matthew 1, which quotes Isaiah 7, where Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. So God is sent to be with us, as the Father sends the Son to be God with us. Now it may well be that we don't feel that we are particularly well equipped for this, we don't feel that we've got what we need in order to do that. We may feel that our lives are chaotic or um, that we don't feel that we're ready or complete as people uh, or that we've got enough mess of our own to carry. I think to think that way is entirely healthy and probably very appropriate. It's a good way of recognising in humility why it is that Jesus was sent for us. We don't at any point become the finished article, that's something that, that will be fulfilled later. So I don't want you to think, well, I'm a bit rubbish, so it's not going to work if Jesus sends me. In fact, I would take that concept um, of being rubbish just a little bit further and think um, if you pick up a, uh, an old plastic bottle that's been washed up on the beach, um, it looks grubby and mucky, it might have sand in it, whatever else. And it is, it, it does look like rubbish, but even that, even that empty, useless thing, or that seems useless at least, if you hold it up and let the wind blow across the front of it, across the top of it, it will sing. And I think there's something of that about us too. We may feel that we are rubbish and, and no longer fulfilling the purpose and, and all that kind of thing. But it's the Holy Spirit breathing across the top of us, breathing through us and across us, that means that we can sing and that we can proclaim and be sent as Jesus' people to a world that really needs to know him. It is getting a little breezy here. Um, I've, I've put the camera right up near a wall in the hope that uh, I protect the sound from that sort of noise that you get when it's blowing. I think most of us uh, who know Jesus and have committed to uh, getting to know him better and following him understand this sense of commission from Jesus, this sort of I recognise that I am being sent by Jesus and and that's important. Uh, I think most of us uh, understand that we're authorised to share good news, to talk to people about forgiveness and and restoration and reconciliation and and things being better than they might otherwise be, particularly for those who are marginalised or who are the victims of injustice, things like that. But I suspect also a lot of us um, recognise that we are that we'd like to feel more up for it than we necessarily always do. There will be those uh, watching this who think, that's not my experience, I I always feel up for sharing the uh, the good news. I'm always out there talking about Jesus and that just is the best part of my day always. And that's great. I don't want to take anything away from your experience uh, and and the ways in which you serve Jesus in that way. That's superb. Um, And in some ways this next bit might not be for you. For those of us, and I include me myself in this, who don't always feel like it, it's something we're desperate to do, something we, we feel excited about, we feel um, that it's something of a labour or, or a worry, um, or we feel guilty about not doing it, um, I, I think it is important for us to, to remind ourselves of what it is that we're sharing. So we're sharing uh, the, the wonder and beauty and horror of the cross, that somebody would put themselves through such a terrible thing for somebody else's sake to make things better for others we're talking about 
sacrifice, that ability to say um, what what I want to accomplish in Jesus' case, what I've accomplished is so important to me that I'm willing to put all of my own comfort and preference aside and suffer for others' benefit. We're talking about restoration. We're talking about being able to live in a guilt-free way, not because the things that we do aren't bad, not because we have nothing to say sorry for, but because Jesus asks us, invites us to leave those things with him and to grow and leave the guilt behind and let him deal with it. We're also talking about good news, not just personally, but also for our communities. We're talking about good news for creation as well, and many people that will be really important to hear. Uh, Good news for the lonely and the broken. And we're we're talking about good news for those who feel that they're in despair, or they feel that they're worthless, or feel that... that, um, Maybe you know somebody who doesn't dare stop a conversation because they're worried that if they stop, that the person they're talking to will leave them uh, behind and walk away from them. All those folks, all the people who are passionate about those things I've talked about, want to know that there is good news to share. They might not agree with your version of what good news looks looks like, but there is a touching point for all of them. We are proclaiming life in all its fullness, not just for me, not just for you, but for everyone and the whole of creation as God designed it to be. So if that's what we're proclaiming, we need to be aware of why it is that some of us might feel um, that there are obstacles to that. What what is it that gets in the way? Is it that we feel that other people aren't listening properly, in which case we might need to look at how we're talking to them? Is it that we feel that we lack skills, in which case, what skills do you want? Do we lack confidence? Maybe we want someone to help us know how to pray for others or disciple others. Because if we know Jesus, we're qualified to do all those things. We don't need additional qualifications, but we might need additional encouragement. Um, so, if we're being sent, um, which is which is our second point, you know, Jesus sends us, then we also need to be aware of what he's sending us to. And, and maybe the gap that exists between where we are, or where Jesus is, and the people he's sending us to. And I want to talk about something called cross-cultural mission you might be aware of this you might particularly think of it in terms of um, western people particularly maybe in your experience british people going to asia or africa or south america um, in order to share uh, the good news with people in different cultures the reason why i raise it is because i believe that within britain now within watch it now there is a need for cross-cultural mission because cross-cultural mission is about the, about going from one culture to another and engaging with it in order to make the good news relevant for those who are hearing it. We've got to be careful that we don't end up desiring to be relevant to everyone so that we look important ourselves. What we're looking to do instead is help those who are listening to us talking about Jesus hear it in a language they understand, hear it in a cultural way that they understand. Now, some generations ago, we didn't have to worry about this because there was so much overlap between Christian culture and British culture that you didn't have to worry about stepping from one to the other. One kind of, if if not being exactly the same as each other, one was very similar to each other. People were walking to a church, have a vague idea of how it worked. No, some, if not most, of the hymns that were being sung 
uh, and would recognise some of the terminology from the Bible. But that is no longer the case. There are those, I find it hard to believe, there are those in this country who don't even, who haven't even come across the concept of Jesus. You've never seen inside a Bible or outside of one. So there is a completely different culture in play here. And because of that, uh, we need to be really committed to a thing called enculturation. And I'm going to just touch briefly on two concepts, two words. One is enculturation, sorry it's long, and the other is syncretism, also long. Um, in simple terms, enculturation is where you recognise the gospel, which doesn't change, does need to be delivered in different ways over time and to different places. The inculturation bit is about saying kind of the gospel needs to be delivered in the culture where it needs to be heard. It's much more important that it's delivered in a way that works for those who are hearing it than for those who are expressing it. Syncretism, which is the other one, is a concept where you are so inside the culture with the gospel that the gospel doesn't look different from the culture anymore. It's kind of been sort of the, the, it's been sort of veneered over the top it's been um, polished up so much by the culture that it no longer looks distinctive the reason why I mention these two concepts isn't because I need you to recognise or learn the concepts of enculturation and syncretism or at least the terms but because good sharing of the gospel good being sent means good enculturation it means being able to talk in a language that's understood by those you're talking to. And it is, it is along the line towards syncretism when you kind of lose sight of the gospel. So if you've got the church's culture over here and the world's culture over there somewhere, good enculturation is going to be here. Syncretism is going to be off here. Now, people get very nervous about enculturation because it can trip over and become syncretism. We can end up being um, so effective at presenting the good news in the culture that it ends up looking more like the culture than just like the gospel. I'm aware of that challenge. I want to encourage you to still go for this enculturation thing, this thing where the way you present the good news makes sense in the culture where it's being received. And I'm going to read from Acts 17 to explain that. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, says Paul in Acts 17, verse 24 onwards. And this God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And then in quotes, Paul says, for in him we live and move and have our being. He goes on, Paul goes on, as some of your own poets have said, and he's talking to people in Athens here, particularly um, philosophers. Uh, as some of your own poets have said, quote, we are his offspring. Okay. Anyone ever sung a song some years back uh, called In Him We Live and Move and Have Our Being? Is it a song that brilliantly expresses what it is to be in Christ. It is a biblical concept. It's only a biblical concept because Paul borrows it from pagan poetry. 
he borrows it from Greek philosophical poetry. A lot of Greek philosophy was expressed in poetic form. Um, so there's a really different culture in play here. And what Paul does is, is talk to them in languages that they understand, talk to them in the language, in the philosophical language they're familiar with. And he grabs concepts that they know and helps people to understand what Jesus brings by doing so. That's how cross-cultural mission works. What we've been doing in British churches for a long time, less so in recent years, but it does still happen, is what might be called outreach and in-grab. That's an Alan Hirsch concept. He's a, a missional theorist. He's worth reading. Outreach and in-grab. That doesn't work unless the culture inside the church is the same as outside the church. If your outreach and in-grab approach um, draws people in, they will feel so uncomfortable and out of place in the church culture that actually they can't hear anything because they're just feeling uncertain and unsettled. Not all Paul's missionary journeys. He went to places and fitted in. And he says, doesn't he, you know, I've become all things to all people. To the weak I became weak. To the um, to those under the law I, I was under the law. He just makes the point of saying, I've had to adapt, I've had to shift my posture over and over again in order to be um, in order to be heard by those who don't yet know Jesus. Just out there, uh, that way, out to sea, um, here at Watch It and at Blue Anchor, you will see when the tide is low, um, the, the posts that were used for fishing weirs. And the concept was this, when the tide was out, the um, fishing folk would go out and put their nets up on those posts and then they would retreat back into town and do whatever it is that they wanted to do um, and then the tide would come up fish would be caught the tide would go out probably actually that's when the fish were caught and then the fishing folk would go back out and gather the nets and bring the fish in so what they did is they put a thing out there and hoped that it would attract and catch fish and they could just then go and pick them up. And there is a risk for us that we forget that we've been sent. And what we try to do is outreach and in-grab, which is very much like what those fishing folk did. It is really, in my mind at least, not so much about outreach as about go out, being sent. I don't believe the Bible really gives us a lot of instructions for how we might share the good news um, individually. I think all the instructions given about how to share the good news, the gospel, to, to talk to others about Jesus and God's intention, those instructions are generally given to communities. And yes, Jesus said to send people out in twos, and, and we do see in the Acts of the Apostles, there are, there are moments when individuals are involved. Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch is one that springs to mind. But in a lot of other places, they're going out in pairs, they're working together to support each other. Which takes me to my third point. I am aware that time is ticking. Jesus urges us to be sent, but only as ourselves. I'm particularly fond of um, a film called Kung Fu Panda. It's an animated film. Um, the key character is called Poe and he's a panda who likes kung fu voiced by Jack Black and in that film <clears throat> uh, there is a moment when uh, there's realization for Poe he he imagines that in order to be able to be really great at kung fu he's going to have to find some magic formula and he discovers that the secret the secret ingredient for his kung fu is simply himself that actually what he brings makes what he has to offer 
special. His own personality, his own character. This ties in, I think, with something that I was, I've been thinking of for some years now about the similarity between our approach to mission and chess. So in chess, you have pieces that can go one space at a time, sometimes two, that's pawns. Uh, lots of pieces that can make far-reaching um, distance, either in straight lines or in diagonals. You've got um, the knights, the horsey ones, what we call them knights, that will do a funny angle every time they move. Uh, sort of two up and one across or something like that. Um, you have queens who are incredibly powerful and can go all kinds of places in, uh, in you know, short distances or long distances. And I think it's important as a church that we recognise that we are a, we are a chessboard missional organisation. Different ones of us are going to do things differently according to what our characters are, in order to what our natural skill set is. I said it earlier, many of us feel that we would like to be more up for being sent than sometimes we feel like we are. I would describe this as um, using a, a bit of artwork on, my, on the wall back in my study at home, which says, uh, a ship in harbour is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. So I can feel safe in the context of my church. I know the people there. I feel comfortable there. It would be great if people could come through the doors so that I could then minister to them and tell them about the good news. But I'm not designed as a ship bearing good news cargo. I'm not designed to stay in harbour. I'm designed to go. Jesus has said, be sent. Not because he wants me to be out on the water all the time, but because I can't take this precious good news cargo to different places unless I spend some time on the open sea. I will find safe harbours, but there'll be plenty of, of being sent in between those harbours. The cargo ship needs to reach land and be in contact with it but it needs to actually reach out uh, and risk things, risk choppy water and storms and, and you know, only having some um, thin wood or metal between yourself and the sea. That always feels risky to me, going out on the water. So having said that, I then want to ask, so what? I've said, I've said before, always when we study scripture, we need to ask, so what? What do I do with that? Where do I go with that? And as we've now passed 25 minutes, this is what I want to say. I think it's really important for us to tell people who it is we want to reach. So imagine a situation uh, where um, there's a lady in your congregation called Mildred. And Mildred has been trying to reach her granddaughter, um, Steph for years and she's never told anybody so nobody's praying with her nobody is aware of what her mission field is no one's aware where her front line is in engaging with others for the good news and it would be good for her to talk through how she's trying to reach uh, Steph and what she's doing and, and and what hasn't worked so far and what else she might try um, and also to have the encouragement and a prayer to be patient and to persevere I think it's important then to tell people who you're keen to go to, who you feel sent to, and to have an idea of what you can do in order to reach them. I mentioned grandchildren earlier. There's a story in a book called Imagine Church, an anecdote about a grandmother who saw her granddaughter every week and had no idea what she was supposed to do in order to reach her. They'd sit down and have a cup of tea one afternoon a week. And it turned out that 
granddaughter would always ask grandmother what she'd been doing. She'd always say she'd been at church and they'd always have a conversation about what had happened at church or what had been said at church. And it turned out that grandmother had been talking about Jesus to granddaughter for a long time. But grandmother didn't feel that this counted because it was just a conversation with a family member. I think what's important is recognising what we can do to each other and then f- knowing that this, this matters, knowing that we are authorised and appointed and, and commissioned to do exactly that where we already are. If you're a retired gardening enthusiast and you have a neighbour over the fence who you kind of know, what you might need is some skills for how to engage with that person about your faith, how to talk about your own story, your faith story. Because I think for a lot of us, it's not that we don't know what might be a good idea, but we lack confidence and we maybe lack skills to do it. Knowing what we need and saying so, being disciplined about doing so, and not being afraid to ask for help. And we'll just touch on that being disciplined thing just in these last few seconds. When I say disciplined, mostly what I mean is being intentional and consistent. So discipline is... Being disciplined is a really good thing for disciples. Not surprising, it seems to match with the word. Um, if we're disciplined, then we keep going. If we're disciplined, then we um, then we have consistency. If we're disciplined, then we keep coming back to it. If we're disciplined, then we keep trying things if the first idea doesn't work. Being disciplined and intentional is crucial to all of our discipleship. Those are the practical guides. I will just just return to those three points and then I'll pray and then we'll ask our three questions for this time round, although sneak preview, spoiler alert thing, it's actually four this week. Um, so first, the mission is not our mission, it's God's. Second, Jesus sends us to others much more than the other way around. And third, Jesus urges us to be sent, but only as ourselves. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to fill our hearts and uh, help us to be effervescent about sharing with others, about being sent. Did you drop into our minds the things that we need to know that you are putting on our hearts right now? Would you help us uh, to stay focused on them, to write them down and recall them and bring them back to you and pray you into all those things as well. Amen. Okay, four questions. This won't become a regular thing, I promise, but I wanted to ask four things this time. Question one, who do you want to reach? If Jesus is sending you, who is it that you want to reach? Don't worry about who do I think Jesus wants me to go to. If he wants to send you somewhere, he will tell you he wants to send you somewhere. You will only miss that instruction if you're not praying. Um, So who do you want to reach? And, And identify them, write them down two maybe three tops you're not going to be able to give the time and attention that you want to 12 people you want to reach all at one go that may be something you can build up to it may be something that you're able to do as some of those people get to know each other and you can talk to them in in groups to start with as we're trying to be disciplined and intentional just two or three who do you want to reach question two what skills encouragement or training do you need don't be afraid, okay? It is all right to not know how this is supposed to work. I sat in a seminar recently 
with a guy who's really keen on church planting who said that he got a, a bunch of maybe a fifth of his church really good on fire keyed up people to talk about mission and church planting and at the end of six months of projects only five percent of them had talked to people about jesus and they were his best people there is really very little out there with people who got it all sorted and know exactly how it works if you need some help if you need some skilling uh, upskilling is that a word uh, if you need some training if you need some advice ask for it and if i haven't got it which you know it might happen i might not we will find people who can provide that kind of uh, encouragement and nurture and confidence giving question three when and how will you start it may be that you feel you already have and that's great but it's still a good idea to be able to record what it is you're trying to do when you started or when you're going to start what it is that you're techniques and strategies are going to be so that you're then able to go back to God and say I've tried this for six weeks and nothing's come of it do you want me to change it and finally question four how will you work with others on this we said earlier didn't we that when Jesus sent people generally he sent them not in singles so it, it might be that actually the way in which you can work with others is is to say what am I praying for for you who am I praying for for you to be in contact with how am I praying for you? Well, what is it that you're wanting to do? Uh, it might also be that that you're looking to connect with somebody that you can talk to about the good news, but actually just going straight in is going to be difficult and you, you could do with a more social setting and it may be that people around you, maybe in your smaller gathering, can help provide that as, as an opening setting. It might be that you don't need to do that more than a couple of times, but if, if the people around you can help provide that setting so that you can start those conversations, brilliant, ask them, get them involved. How are you going to work with others and how are you going to let them ask you for help as they reach out, as they are being sent to? Let's have a final prayer and then we'll close. Lord Jesus, we remember that in Isaiah 6, God called out saying, who shall I send? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. I believe he was not... Uh, just excited he was nervous too and certainly as you sent others Elijah and others there was nervousness Moses there was nervousness about how they were being sent would you help us not to fight being sent because we're nervous but to seek support and encouragement from others so that we might be sent and that others might come to know you amen thanks very much for sticking with us particularly it was a longer one this time I look forward to seeing you soon take care and God bless